Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. A very big and very strange comet-ish object has entered our solar system. Some tips to help your body recover from a year of virtual working, learning, and socializing. And the two badass 12-year-old girls going to the Tokyo Olympics for skateboarding. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Possibly the biggest comet ever recorded is hurtling toward the sun. But don't worry, it won't hit it. It won't even get closer to the sun than Saturn is. And it won't get there until 2031. And we probably won't notice anything here on Earth or even be able to see anything without a telescope. Except maybe a cool fireworks show as it breaks up. So now that I've sufficiently thrown cold water on any possible alarmist headlines here, let's talk about what still makes this object really cool and notable. Quoting Gizmodo, The mystery object is called 2014 UN271, and it's currently 22 astronomical units, or AU, from the Sun, in which 1 AU is the average distance of Earth to the Sun, which means that it has already passed the orbit of Neptune. The International Astronomical Union Minor Planet Center announced the detection on June 19th. This object will travel another 11.1 AU before reaching its perihelion point, the closest approach to the Sun, in 2031 after which 2014 UN271 will begin its long journey back to the Oort cloud. Algorithms spotted the object in data collected by the Dark Energy Survey, or DES, from 2014 to 2018, as Samantha Lawler, an astronomer at the University of Regina in Saskatchewan, Canada, explained in an email. Nearly 40 distinct observations of 2014 UN271 were made during this time span, allowing astronomers to estimate its size, speed, and trajectory. End quote. And that size and trajectory is what's really blowing people's minds. Quoting Phil Plate in his Bad Astronomy column on Sci-Fi, its ridiculously elongated orbit goes from about 1.6 billion kilometers from the Sun, just outside Saturn's orbit, to a mind-numbing 2 trillion kilometers out. That's a fifth of a light year. From that distance, the Sun's gravity is so weak, a whisper could push this thing into interstellar space. And another is its size. A big comet might be 50 kilometers wide, the size of the famous Hale-Bopp comet which visited the inner solar system in the 1990s. This one may be, and I'm still reeling from this, a staggering 200 kilometers wide. 2014 UN271 is what we call a trans-Neptunian object, or TNO. This is a class of objects that orbit the Sun out past Neptune and come in a variety of shapes, sizes, orbits, and so on. Some are quite big. Pluto is technically the largest we know of, at about 2,400 kilometers wide, or the distance from Denver to Washington, D.C., Many found are in the 100 to 1,000 kilometer range, but these objects are so far away, we've only found a handful of the trillions of them that are out there. 
2014 UN271 spends most of its 600,000 year or so orbit hundreds of billions of kilometers from the sun. The only reason it was found at all is because it's only about 3 billion kilometers away from us right now, roughly the distance of Neptune from the sun. That's how its size was found as well. For a given brightness we see at Earth, a shiny object is smaller and a dark one bigger. If we assume it reflects 4% of the sunlight hitting it, reasonable since that's a decent average for TNOs, it's 200 kilometers wide. But it might be darker and bigger, or more reflective and smaller, we'll know better in the next few years. We don't know what this object is made of exactly, but given what we know about TNOs, it's likely a mix of water ice and rock, plus other frozen things like carbon dioxide, methane, nitrogen, and the like. It's too small to be round. Its gravity is too weak to crush itself into a sphere. The smallest known object like that in the solar system is Saturn's moon Mimas, at 400 kilometers wide. So it's very likely irregular in shape. End quote. Given how unique it is, not a dwarf planet and also a pretty weird comet, scientists are curious to see if it will behave like a typical comet. As Gizmodo explains, that 2014 UN271 will turn into a comet in 10 years is no guarantee. Comets are defined as celestial bodies that, as they approach the sun, develop a coma, the result of sublimating ice when solids turn directly into a gas, and a tail. We expect that most bodies in the outer solar system have a large fraction of ices, so they should start sublimating if they get close to sun, says Lawler. But whether this particular object will have a coma as it gets to its closest approach will depend on how many times it has passed through the inner solar system and its exact composition. It may have less ice than we expect. As Lawler points out, the object could be heated to far higher temperatures than anything it has experienced in the past million years or so. This could cause outgassing, or thermal stresses, that will cause it to shatter and break up into tiny pieces. Or it could do absolutely nothing and remain a sturdy, unchanged ball of ice and rock, she said. End quote. There's a lot that's uncertain about this object, as Meg Schwamm, a lecturer at Queen's University in Belfast and an expert on Cooper Belt objects, told Gizmodo, quote, Comets are like cats. You never know what they're going to do. <laughs> but we might be able to get some better data to predict what it does if we send a probe up. Plate notes that the European Space Agency is designing a comet interceptor to investigate comets on their first inbound trip to the inner solar system. 2014 UN271 doesn't exactly hit that mark, but Plate points out we've never had the opportunity to see a TNO or something like this up close before, and if we could, it would be absolutely incredible. And one last tidbit here. Astrophysicist Dr. Pedro Bernardinelli noted in a Twitter thread, quote, Some people asked why it was only announced now. Finding TNOs with DES is a massive computational problem. My PhD was solving this problem. The search itself took 15 to 20 million CPU hours, and the catalog production from our 80,000 exposures probably took more than that, end quote. So, wow. Yeah. That's why we're only now hearing about an object first spotted in 2014 that we won't really catch sight of until 2031. Space is big, folks.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding expectations, simplifying lives, and establishing legacies that last for generations. Leverage their exclusive network of experts to help achieve your personal and professional financial goals. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect to a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. About a third of the U.S. workforce spent at least some time the last 500 days working from home in makeshift DIY home offices. Others attended school via their computers for large swaths of that time, and still others had their social and recreational time turned digital. We've all spent a lot more time on computers at home in the last year, and more than likely, it took a toll on your body. Teacher and writer Zach Ginsberg experienced this firsthand. Several months into teaching 8th graders on Zoom every day, he started noticing back and neck pain, increased anxiety, stomach aches, and shoulder pain so bad he couldn't sleep. Writing in Wired, Ginsberg shares his experience talking to a doctor about the failings of his home office setup and what he's learned to do to offset his symptoms and prevent them from happening again in the future. On the off chance you're experiencing any physical or mental symptoms from too much time in front of screens, here are some of the tips Ginsberg collected from his orthopedic surgeon as well as a few other experts. First, if you're a laptop user, get an external keyboard. Most laptops are not at eye level, and if you get a stand or a stack of books to help relieve the pain in your neck or look better on a video call, then your arms are raised up to an uncomfortable and, in the long term, damaging level. So if that's the case, an external keyboard and mouse can help get your laptop at eye level and let your arms be where they should as well. Ideally, you want your arms when typing to pretty much be at right angles. The table should be where your elbow hangs naturally, which might mean adjusting your chair, or investing in one that you can adjust. Quoting Ginsberg and Wired, physical therapist Melanie Carroll made it clear that it's not only about choosing the right chair, but using it correctly. In the correct position, you should be in the back of the seat with two to four inches in between the front of the chair and the back of your knees, and your feet should be on the floor. If your feet are not flat on the ground, you're going to scoot forward until your feet are flat, and if you're short like me, you're going to have to get a step stool or put something underneath your feet. This will push you back in the seat to get the proper support from the backrest. End quote. And I'll second the step stool situation. Once I got an external monitor, I turned my laptop stand into a footrest so I could relieve that lumbar pressure while still having my chair high enough so that my arms match my desk. That didn't turn out to be high enough, though, so currently my feet are resting on a case of liquid death. If you've really got the budget or your company's budget to spend, this is where a standing desk can come in handy. And not necessarily to stand, although that's obviously great for health, but because most of them are adjustable, and some of them you can even adjust down below normal desk height, so if you're shorter, you can finally have a desk at the appropriate ergonomic height for your body, and vice versa if you're a bit taller than average. And on the note of standing to work, another tip is to adjust your positions often. Maybe try a yoga ball as a chair or one of those kneeling chairs, or just standing throughout the day. Quoting again, The optimal ratio of sitting versus standing is 1 to 1 or 2 to 1. That means for every 1 to 2 hours of working in a chair, you should stand for at least 1 hour. And you want to alternate between these positions every 30 to 60 minutes. End quote. 
But staying fit and counteracting all the time we spend at desks or kitchen tables isn't just about what we're doing while we're working. It's also about how we exercise our bodies and our minds away from the computer. Quote, working out correctly can reduce anxiety, depression, and the risk of heart disease and stroke. Clinical psychologist Michael Tansy believes exercise is always good for everyone. There are some people who hate the idea of it, but it doesn't take much. You can do calisthenics, jumping jacks, push-ups, or ride a bike. It's particularly valuable for those working from home as a way of stepping away from the workstation, hitting the mental reset button, and supporting healthy blood circulation. End quote. But with gyms closed for so long and more people turning to workout apps and streaming exercises, physical therapists like Carol have seen a marked increase in injuries. Without a friend spotting you or an instructor to correct you, it's easy to push yourself too far or hurt yourself with the wrong form. So take it slow, look up extra tutorials if you're trying something for the first time, and if you're at home, make sure you're actually giving yourself enough space, using the right surface, and wearing the right kind of footwear. And finally, don't forget about your mental health. If you're one of the people who will be working from home for the long term, Ginsburg says be sure you're prioritizing times to get out of the house. Schedule in social time, or just going to places like parks or museums on your own. And clinical psychologist Tansy even notes the benefits of adopting a pet to keep you company. But if you're not ready for the commitment of a pet just yet, just start with that external keyboard and maybe a couple of jumping jacks every lunch break. The last few Olympic qualifiers are wrapping up as we head into the final weeks before the Tokyo Games, and as of Monday, two of the youngest summer Olympians ever have been formally certified to compete. Sky Brown from the UK and Kokona Hiraki from Japan, both just 12 years old, will be among the first ever competitors in skateboarding at the Olympics. Two different skateboarding events will be debuting next month, Park, which involves doing tricks on ramps and bowls, and Street, which involves tricks on stairs, handrails, benches, slopes, that kind of thing. Brown and Hiraki both compete in Park and will be the youngest summer Olympians in their respective countries. Brown, who only just recovered from a broken wrist and fractured skull she got during training last year, placed second in Women's Park at the Dew Tour in Des Moines, Iowa last month, which served as the Olympic qualifier. She was just behind Japan's Sakura Yosuzumi, who came in first. Hiraki came in fifth, but well within the top eight qualifiers. More than half of the eight Women's Park athletes will be competing on their home turf of Japan, with one more, Jordan Barrett, from the U.S., Brown currently ranks as the third best female park skateboarder in the world, and Hiraki is sixth. Even Tony Hawk knows their names. Upworthy notes that Hawk told ESPN last year of Brown, quote, She has incredible potential. She could definitely be one of the best female skaters ever, if not one of the best well-rounded skaters ever, regardless of gender. She has such confidence, such force, even at such a young age. The way she's able to learn new tricks and the way she absorbs direction, it's so rare. End quote. I was already stoked to see skateboarding at the Olympics for the first time, but dang, these kids are making it even cooler. Can't wait to watch what they do.
The ninth installment of the Fast and the Furious series, F9, comes out on Friday, and yesterday actually marked the franchise's 20th anniversary. So, naturally, the good people at Honest Trailers cut together what is really an accurate summary of the series, which they call the MCU with a GED. Here at Ride Home Media, we live our lives a quarter of an hour at a time, and I unironically love the Fast and Furious series. I'm literally going to an F9 cookout ahead of its release on Friday, but part of loving it is appreciating when it's ridiculous. So whether you love it, hate it, or have always been curious, I highly recommend checking out this hilarious video that highlights just how the series has grown and changed over the years. Link in the show notes. But that is it for today. As always, this This show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.